Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, in the New Testament section of our Red Bibles, on page 3. Please join me for a prayer of illumination. O blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, to read them, to mark and to learn and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope for everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew 4. Verse 1. As Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, he fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdom of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is also written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And the devil left him. And suddenly angels came and waited on him. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, again, the Lord is with you. I want to uh, speak to you this morning about that very text that we just heard about temptation as a form of spiritual warfare and how we as God's people can overcome it. And I want to begin by telling you a, a story. And I was trying to ascertain the truthfulness of this story, but I'm still not sure. But it's a good story, and I want to share it with you. So. This basketball referee, Al Cavino, was officiating a high school league championship game in New Rochelle, New York. 
New, York, New Rochelle was the home team coached by Dan O'Brien. Their opponent was Yonkers, and the game was a back-and-forth nail-biter. And as the clock ticked down to 30 seconds, Yonkers led by one point. Yonkers took the shot, missed New Rochelle, grabbed the rebound, quickly passed the ball up the court. The crowd was on their feet. They were roaring as the New Rochelle players shot for the basket. The ball hit the rim. It rolled around and then rolled off the rim. A teammate recovered it, quickly put it back in for the apparent victory. Home crowd went wild. Referee Covino looked at the clock and saw that the time had expired, but he couldn't affirm New Rochelle's final basket because the crowd noise was so overwhelming, he didn't hear the buzzer. He checked with the other official. The other official wasn't sure either. The referee went over to the timekeeper, 17-year-old boy, who gazed up at him with a long, sad face and said, Mr. Covino, the buzzer went off as the ball rolled off the rim before the final putback was made. Covino had no choice but to go over to Coach O'Brien and tell him that he had lost the championship game. The coach was crestfallen, his face clouded over, his head drooped at the moment. Right at that moment, the young timekeeper came up to him and said, I'm sorry, Dad. I had to tell Mr. Covino that the time ran out before the final basket. O'Brien looked up at his son. The cloud passed from his face, and he brightened as if the sun had burst through. That's okay, son, he said. You did what you had to do. I'm proud of you. And then the coach turned to Covino and said proudly, Al, I want you to meet my son, Joe. And then the two walked off the court the father standing tall with his arm around his son's shoulders. Can you imagine the pressure and the temptation that this young boy faced in that moment? The game was at his high school. His dad was the coach. And all he had to do to secure the victory was to give in to the pressure of the moment. All he had to do, as we now say, is do a little home cooking. One of the common experiences we all face is temptation. It doesn't matter who you are. There is no one here today who can say, I am not tempted. Ever since that fateful day in Genesis chapter 3, temptation continues to be a key strategy that the devil uses to wage war and to lead men and women away from God's will. The devil uses temptation and tries to overrun your will so that we abandon what we know is right and we indulge in the act of the moment that seems immediately satisfying. And that's what we find in today's reading. The devil waging war against Jesus, the second Adam, he was victorious over the first Adam, as you may know, and now he comes for a repeat victory. He overturned God's plan in Genesis, and now he comes ready to overthrow God's redemptive plan for the world through his son, the Lord Jesus. 
Friends, let's remember, it's not just the major red-letter temptations that the devil uses to assault us. Sometimes, and most times, if not all the time, you and I are tempted with the little things. We're tempted to give in to impatience, to give in to anger, to give in to, to irritability, to give in to anxiety and profanity and that sharp tongue that we think is so endemic to who we really are. We're tempted to cheat on the answers to that exam next week. And as we know in our culture, some have been tempted to work the angles so that their kids can get to those elite universities without merit. Remember now, it's that lack of self-control in the small things that usually precedes that big thing. And so what I have to say to you this morning is not play-acting. It's not like some mom or dad wrestling on the floor with their five-year-old son and allowing their five-year-old son to pin them to the floor for fun. What we're looking at this morning is truly a violent, hate-filled scene. We're looking at spiritual warfare waged by an ancient foe. So it's no coincidence, a few weeks ago we were talking about the baptism of Jesus, that immediately following his baptism, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. He was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and there he was tempted by the devil. And many of us, many of God's people have had similar experiences right after a conversion, right after some mountaintop event, right after a church decides to to get serious and focused on reaching their community just when, just when a certain level of spiritual maturity, certain spiritual habits are being formed into your life, that spiritual warfare begins to break out against you and against me. So what do we do to overcome temptation and spiritual warfare? Let me close with two possibilities before we go to the communion table. What do we do when we are embroiled in temptation and spiritual warfare. I think the first thing we ought to do is just recognize that temptation is inevitable. Martin Luther said it best. He said, while you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, you can't stop them from, you, you can stop them from making nests in your hair. I don't have any hair, so I'm not dealing with any temptation, right? That is, stop things before they get away from you. The best way to avoid temptation is to stay away from it. I like the story of the man who rushed into his doctor's office and he shouted out, Doc, I just broke my arm in two places. And the doctor replied, well then, stay, stay out of those places. Some of you are just catching on. <laughs> we laugh, but there is, a, there is a germ of truth there. Because just because it seems obvious that we should avoid temptation, and we know that, doesn't mean we'll make it our habit to do so. We have to decide to avoid temptation. And then we have to enforce that decision with action, by choosing when we know our weaknesses, 
when we know what tempts us, we need to stay out of those places, stay out of those situations, and maybe even stay away from certain people. So it's inevitable. The second thing we can recognize as we fight spiritual warfare and temptation is to learn from Jesus. And we saw it very clearly. We were just singing about it. Jesus relied on the promises of God. Jesus relied on God's word, the power of God's word. And you saw in the reading how the devil attacked Jesus in three main ways. He tempted him to place his physical needs ahead of his spiritual needs by turning stones into bread. He tempted him to be showy and presumptuous. Throw yourself down from the highest point on the temple in Jerusalem. And, and isn't that what the Bible says? The angels are going to catch you and give you a soft landing. He tempted him to take a shortcut. Win the crown, Jesus, without the cross. All you've got to do is bow down, worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world as long as you worship me as your master. And it's all yours. And with each of the devil's attacks, I don't know if you noticed that the devil promised some kind of reward or some kind of delight, and that is why we constantly, let me, let me say, I fall to the lure of temptation. Here's what I always tell myself when I read this story, that if the devil had the chutzpah to attack Jesus, guess what he's going to do to flimsy old you? and flimsy old me. Friends, we are in a spiritual battle, and this is a battle that we cannot win in human strength. Some of us are very smart. Some of us are very strong. Some of us are very wealthy. Some of us have sort of this earthly capacity to protect ourselves, maybe from all kinds of diseases and viruses and sicknesses and trouble. But this is one thing we do not have, the human earthly capacity to withstand on our own. God, instead, has provided spiritual weaponry for us to stand against the wiles of the enemy, and we've been well supplied, well equipped. We've been supplied with the belt of truth. Go back to Ephesians 6 and read about that weaponry. We've been supplied with the breastplate of righteousness. Our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we can carry the shield of faith with which we can quench the fiery darts of the enemy. We have the helmet of salvation to cover our head so that we have the wisdom of God in every situation. Every piece of the armor has one thing in common. It's all defensive. It's defensive by design. And its purpose is so that we can stand, we can protect ourselves from the onslaught of temptation and the devil. But there is one more weapon, and I believe it's an offensive weapon that Jesus used, and the Bible calls it the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When tempted to put his physical needs ahead of his spiritual needs by turning stones into bread, Jesus used the Word of God. And I'm right now finishing up Deuteronomy, and I was underlining these places where Jesus quoted from the book of Deuteronomy, I thought to myself, wow, Jesus really knew the book of Deuteronomy well. Because every response, every, every move that Jesus made to push back on the devil's temptation, he used words from Deuteronomy. 
do not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16. Devil tried one more time. Well, okay, why don't you bow down and worship me? Why don't you, why don't you throw yourself down from the temple? And Jesus, again, used the word of God. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. The first one the devil used was to turn the stones into bread. And Jesus quoted Deuteronomy. And he said, we don't live by bread alone. We live by the words that come from the mouth of God. I just love that. And then the last time he came and he said, all right, see all that you see? It's been given to me. It's mine. I can give it to you if you'll bow down and you'll worship me. And Jesus just said, away with you, Satan. It is written, and he quotes Deuteronomy again, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And that last verse that we read in verse 11 says, the devil left him and suddenly angels came and they waited on him. It's really true. If you resist the devil, the devil will flee. If you put a welcome mat for the devil, the devil will say thank you and he'll come on in. As long as you live, my brothers and sisters, you're going to be tempted. But whatever your temptation you're going through, I just want you to know you're not flawed you're not messed up. You are surrounded by a company of brothers and sisters who are going through the same thing. The person sitting in front of you, beside you, on the other side of you, the people up in the balcony, everybody here is struggling with some kind of pressure. And the lie we tell ourselves is that we think we're the only ones going through it. All those other people look so spiritual, so intact. What's wrong with me? We're in the same boat. Maybe not struggling with the same things, but we're all struggling. Amen? First Corinthians 10, 13. Let me just quote some promises. We can stand on the promises now. No testing has overtaken you. That is not common to everyone. God is faithful. He will not let you be tested or tempted beyond your strength. But with that temptation, God will provide a way for you so that you can endure it. Hebrews 4.15, another promise on which we can stand. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Here's another promise. No one when tempted should say, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and God himself tempts no one. It's the devil who is waging war. It's the devil who wants to bring us far from God. It's the devil who is the tempter, and he's no stranger to you. He goes about like a roaring lion. He wants to devour, and I'm sure he's passed by your house just as he's passed by my house. But while we must respect and be wary of the devil's temptation, we don't have to be afraid of him. God is faithful, brothers and sisters, and will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. Warren Wearsby used to be the pastor of Moody Church many years ago, at one time was the president of Moody Bible Institute, wrote this in one of his books, Be Loyal. He said, Jesus was not tempted so that the father could learn anything about his son. For the father already had given his seal of approval, divine approval, you're my beloved son. We heard it again last week on the mountain of, of uh, transfiguration. You're my son. 
Jesus was tempted, though, so that every creature in heaven and on earth or under the earth might know that Jesus is the conqueror. He exposed Satan that day and his tactics. He defeated the devil. And because of his victory, we can have victory over the tempter. Isn't that beautiful news? For those of you who are being tempted, isn't that beautiful news? For those of you who don't know you're being tempted, isn't that beautiful news? I think it is. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen.